Good evening. Let's see. Is your thing on? Okay. I just want to make sure before I get going. All right. Certainly it's good to see all of you tonight. Uh, we always look forward to and appreciate opportunities to, to gather and worship. You know, it makes us better. Uh, worshiping together, it makes us better. Uh, this is the way, the best way we could possibly begin our week. And for those of us who are sort of here for a double portion, uh, you, shouldn't have, you couldn't have chosen a better way to, to invest your time. I want us to think about the harvest. Uh, Mark, Matthew chapter 9, it's an interesting chapter. And the verse where I want us to begin in verse number 35, it sort of represents uh, a break or a transition. The book of Matthew is put together with what are sometimes called teaching sections and healing sections. That is to say, in writing the book, Matthew will go on for some period of time about the things that Jesus taught. And then he will go on for a period of time about the things that Jesus did in healing the folks around him. And he sort of goes back and forth between those two things. The verses that I asked to, to be read to you tonight, they they represent a bridge in these two uh, these two sections of material here in chapter nine. In Matthew chapter 9, for example, as you open the chapter and you begin the reading, you see that Jesus has healed a lame man there. After some controversy, you'll see that he, he heals a woman who had an issue of blood for some 12 years. And, and oh, by the way, as he did that, he was on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then he would proceed to heal two men who were blind. He restored their sight, having cast out the evil spirit from a man who was mute. He healed him as well. Jesus was about the business of healing people. He was, of course, about the business of teaching the gospel also. And you see that here in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse number 35. As we dive into these verses, I first want to make some I want to make some observations for you about what Jesus had to say about the harvest. And then I want us to think a little bit about the harvest that is set before us in our own present day. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35, the Bible says, Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. It seems that Jesus was making one of several circuits that he did make in the region of Galilee. The Bible says he he went about all these cities and he entered into all these towns. And he did that with the specific intention in his mind of going to the synagogue, the places for Jewish assembly and Jewish worship. And, and he was going into those places specifically because he had it in his heart. He had it in his mind to do some teaching. What was going to be the subject of his teaching? Well, it was going to be the same as it always was. He was he was going to preach to them about the about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. You remember after he comes up out of the waters of baptism, the Bible says he he began to preach that men ought to repent, repent. He began to preach that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Chapter four and verse number 17. I noticed, friends, that Jesus went into the cities I noticed that he went into the villages. He went where he knew there would be concentrations of people. Jesus was, was looking for people. He was, 
He was of a mind to share with those who were lost. He said he came to seek those who were lost. He says he came because he wanted to minister to those who were broken and hurting. Jesus went to the cities. He he went to the villages because that's where he could find the most people. Just by way of observation, as I sort of notice what's happening in our landscape in the church, I I tend to see that people are fleeing from the cities. I, I tend to see that people are running away from the villages. All the people are in that direction and churches are going in the opposite direction. But, but Jesus went where he could find the people, friends. And he went to do some preaching. He had something in his heart. He had something in his mind. He had a firm purpose. And it was to share the gospel with people who needed to hear it. But I also see that in addition to his his efforts to to minister to the spiritual part of man. I see that he took some time to minister to the natural part of man as well. The Bible says he was healing people who had all manner of diseases and and all manner of illnesses. Jesus was not only minded to, to speak what men and women needed to hear in their spirit, but he was also minded to minister to their broken and bruised bodies. I just suggest to you that if you're going to minister in the cities and in the villages, you're not going to be able to simply uh, spout the gospel off into thin air. You've got to get down where people are and you've got to touch them where they are broken to help them see that the gospel that you share with them has an immediate application. It will make their lives better now and in eternity also. Jesus didn't have a problem helping people where they knew they were hurting so that he could help them where they needed to see that they were hurting as well. Jesus was preaching the gospel and he was touching people's lives in a very tangible, authentic way. In verse 36, the Bible tells us that something is taking place as he is uh, going about in these cities and villages. There was a way that when Jesus went into a certain area, he drew attention. He, he had an impact on people. Yes, with his teaching, he, he had an impact through his healing and so forth. But, but in the doing, instead of him going to people because of his work, people were coming to him. And in verse 36, the Bible says he he looks out now and he sees a multitude has gathered and he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and scattered like like sheep not having a shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion. We see his preaching. Now we see his compassion. The phrase that is rendered in the English, move with compassion, comes from one term that has to do with being stirred in his bowels. You know, those ancients had a way of believing that the seat of the emotions was was sort of in the bowels. It, It came from here in the stomach. And so Jesus is described as being as being moved with compassion. He had a a strong feeling about what he saw in these people's lives. Have you ever been touched with the feelings of someone else's infirmities? Because the book of Hebrews tells me that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And and I see right here that Matthew was telling me that, yes, indeed, he was. The word compassion has to do with having a deep sense of sympathy, a strong feeling because of someone else's distress 
coupled with a desire to do something about it. I sometimes tell people, listen, uh, if you feel badly because something has happened to someone, then that's all you feel is badly. But if you if you want to feel compassion, then there has to be something in your heart. There has to be something in your mind that says, and I need to do something about it. And that's that's who Jesus was. He saw that people were hurting. Yes, he did. He he saw that people needed some help. The Bible says he sees these people as being distressed and scattered. If you if you look at the original language, it, it says that he sees these people being harassed, friends. They were sort of being chased from from one place to another place. The Bible says he sees them being listened to it. Helpless friends. There was nothing they could do on their own to alleviate their circumstance. Jesus likens this in his own heart, and his own mind to sheep without a shepherd. You know, when the wolves would get after the sheep. There just wasn't very much the sheep could do about it. If the wolves were to try to chase them, it wouldn't be very long before the sheep would sort of give up in their weariness and and they would simply lie down and wait for the end to come. The Bible tells us that these people were were sort of cast down before Jesus. He sees them in their weariness. Listen, they've been maligned by the religious leaders of their day, told that they're not good enough. They've been abandoned by the religious leaders of their day. No one is willing to go down into the valley to help them where they need the help most. And now they have come to Christ and they see and Christ sees them lying down, cast down before him. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion. It meant something to him to see those people hurting as they were. It meant something to him. Jesus was a man of compassion. And this is the context in which in verse number 37, uh, Jesus gives us his perception about the harvest. If you look at verse number 37, it says that he said to his disciples, the harvest indeed is plenteous or plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know what Jesus saw when he looked out over the masses of people? Listen, bruised people, hurting people, broken people, people who have fallen short. Listen, they knew it and so did everybody else. Do you know what Jesus saw when he looked at these people? He saw a harvest, he says, that is plenteous. He sees all these souls. that could enter into the kingdom of heaven that he had been preaching about. You know what Jesus saw when he looked out and he saw the drug addict and the alcoholic and the person who had blown up two or three different marriages? Do you know what Jesus saw when he saw the deadbeat dad and and the mom who would rather run the streets than stay at home and take care of her children? Do you know what he saw? When he saw the person who was given to lying and gossip and all of that, do you know what he saw? He saw a harvest. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. Now his perception is there was nothing wrong with the harvest. Did you see that? 
The harvest is plentiful. Well, Jesus, what is the problem then? The laborers, he says, are few. There's all kinds of work out here. There are all kinds of souls that should be reaped. There are all kinds of people that should be coming into the kingdom of heaven. But I cannot seem to find enough workers. That's the problem. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me if you think for just a moment about what happens to a bountiful crop if it's not harvested. You know what's going to happen. It's going to spoil. Jesus looking at all these hurting people, looking at all of these souls, he says there is a harvest here that needs to be brought in. But I cannot seem to find enough people who are winning, willing to bend their backs and bow their knees and do the work. Nothing wrong with the harvest. But Jesus has a concern about the laborers. See, that's his perception. Nothing wrong with this mass of people, except that I can't find enough folks to get out here and help them. There's the problem. Now, he gives us a, a prescription here. He's really talking to his disciples. He's not talking to us, but, uh, but surely he is talking to us because the Holy Spirit has preserved it for us. You see there in verse number 38 what he tells them that they ought to do. Listen, pray you, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he send forth laborers into his harvest. You need to pray to God that he will send some people. And I love this because that word sin has to do with thrusting someone forward. It, it's not just that he will say to someone, listen, dude, if you can get around to this, uh, if you can find 15 minutes in your day uh, and whenever it gets convenient for you, if you can go on out. No, he thrusts people out into the harvest. You pray to God that he will push some people out the door, that he will kick some people out the door and drop them in the middle of the harvest and let them get to work. You pray to God for that, he says. Because that's what's needed. Interesting to me, you might miss this because of the chapter break that's been inserted here, chapter 9, and then we go into chapter 10. But you see the very next thing that happens after Jesus says to them that they need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. You see the very next thing that happens in chapter 10 and verse number 1. The Bible says he calls to himself these 12 disciples and he gives them the ability to minister to people's physical needs, their ailments, and so forth. And as you read on through the chapter, he commissions them to go and preach the same thing he was preaching. They needed to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Listen, the message never did change. John the Baptist preached it. Jesus preached it. And he commissioned these 12 in particular to go out preaching it as well. Well, what was the prescription, Jesus? How were we going to deal with the fact that the harvest is plentiful, but we can't seem to find enough laborers? Well, the first thing you need to do, he says, is pray to the Lord of the harvest. Because, listen, men can scatter seed all they want to. Men can water the seed all they want to. But God is the one who gives the increase. You pray to him that he will send forth more labor. And when you pray that prayer, you be part of the answer to it. Come on over here and work with the Lord for a few moments and get on out there into the field and do some reaping. 
I just find that extraordinary. Jesus tells them on the one hand, you pray to God, and on the other hand, you participate in bringing in this bountiful harvest. I read that text, and I see a picture in my mind. An older couple sitting on the porch of their home, they have one of those porch swings. And in the cool of the day, they sit there together and they look out over the field that surrounds them. They live on a farm. They have a sickle because, you know, in the olden days, you, you used a sickle to go out there and harvest the grain. But the sickle now is sort of old and rusted because... They haven't used it in a while. And they sit there on their porch and they see the grain and they think to themselves, boy, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if that harvest would go and buy some bushels, bring the bushels into the field, jump into the bushels and bring itself up here on the porch next to us? Wouldn't it be nice? See, they've forgotten, they've forgotten that they're farmers. They've seen a bumper crop or two in their day, but they've retired prematurely because the field is still white and there's still work to be done. And they're thinking about the work they did all those many years ago. But right now there is still a bountiful harvest and they're sitting on the porch in early retirement. See, I see an image in my mind. It's their oldest boy. He grew up on the farm, but he never really was interested in a farm life. He takes a wife of his own. He moves away, maybe to what we might call a suburban area. He wants to get away. He wants to get away from all that grain. He didn't enjoy that kind of work anyway. He only did it because he had to. Finds a nice house somewhere and he goes into the house with his family. He remodels the house. I mean, he's tearing out walls. He's putting walls in. He's stripping paint. He's repainting. He's tearing up old carpet. He's putting in hardwood floors. After so many years of that, he's just about gotten the house where he wants it. He and his family are enjoying that house until one day he walks out on his porch and he sees he's surrounded by grain. He was doing everything he could to get away from the farm and the farm came and found him. And you know what he says to himself? I guess we're going to have to move. He may still have that sickle he had as a young guy, but he has no idea where it is. And if he could lay his hands on it, he wouldn't know how to use it anymore. And he never did teach his family how to do it anyway. See, he forgets that he was raised to farm. He sees the grain and thinks it's something to run away from when he ought to be running into the field with his sickle, thrusting it in and reaping. Now, what am I saying to you? Ask yourself this question. Now, I'm thinking about the church in our country for right now. Ask yourself this question. Why isn't the church growing the way that it should? Why isn't it? 
then make this observation. Recognize this with me for a second. There are religious groups around us who are growing. They certainly don't have a better message than we have. They certainly don't know more about the book than we do. Why are some groups growing when the Lord's church is not growing as it should? Ask yourself that question. Is it because we're letting other people outwork us? See, they've got the same field. So we can't really get away with saying that no, nobody wants to do this. We, sometimes what we do in our conversation, I sometimes hear this, we put all the blame on the harvest. Well, there's something wrong with the crop. No one is interested in this anymore. Yet I see other people leading folks into religiosity in their error. So what is the problem? I'm suggesting to you that the problem is what it always has been. Jesus said there's nothing wrong with the crop. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers. Ask yourself this question. Be honest with yourself. Why isn't the church growing as it should? Then ask yourself another question. When is the last time you ran into the field with your sickle, cast it in and and did some reaping. When is the last time? Sit down at your kitchen table with your neighbor and your Bible and thrust in your sickle. When is the last time? All of us own a sickle. It's just that some of us have stored our sickles in the attic. Some of us have hung it out there on the garage and allowed it to rust in the weather. We've forgotten that we're farmers. We've forgotten some of us. Ask yourself this question. In a congregation of 400 plus people, when the cry goes out that we're heading into the field, how many people ought to be willing to participate? And how many people do? over a course of years, and I don't know the answer. See, I don't know the answer. Didn't want to look it up. Over a period of years, congregation of 400 people, if people are working earnestly, how many conversions do you think 400 people should be able to produce on average in a year of earnest work? How many do you think? And then how many have there been? There's nothing wrong with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Just need a few more workers. Just need a few more workers. Today was a good day. Some of us went out and uh, knocked on doors and made contact with some people who had come, you know, on Wednesdays we have the food distribution, so made contact with some of the people who have come to our building looking for their physical needs to be satisfied. And they found, they found some, some securing of their physical needs here. But, but we went out to try to offer them not only more of that, but also something for their spiritual needs. And here's what we found. Now listen, here's what we found. It's unofficial. It's unofficial, but just talking about our experiences, we found as a group that most people welcome 
welcomed us to their doors and were anxious and excited that we were there to invite them to come. And many of those people said they would like to come. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. It's just that if we had three times or four times as many workers, how many more good receptions could we have found? There's nothing wrong with the harvest. I'm not going to let myself get away with the idea that nobody wants to hear it because it's not true. I'm not going to let you get away with that. It's not true. Here's what we need. Here's what we need, because there are people all around us who are hurting and broken and needing the gospel. Here's what we need. We need 400 people who are willing to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers into the field. And then we need 400 people who are willing to be in part the answer to their own prayer to get out there and do some reaping. Now, as I say that, some of us, listen, I'm just being honest, some of us don't know where we left our sickle, okay? Some of us don't remember where we left it, so we've got to go back and do some work. Some of us, our sickle is a little rusty. We've got to pull it out and knock some of the rust off. But, but what I'm saying to you is we all need to pray for the Lord to send more laborers, but when we pray that, we can't pray that it always be somebody else. I'm one of these guys that doesn't mind dreaming really big. I'm sorry, I just don't mind. I'm one of these guys that doesn't mind having a big vision in my heart. And I'm saying to you that if we want it to see some of you are going to think this sounds crazy, but I'm telling you what I know. If we want it to. This congregation could double in size in a year's time. Yes, it could. Yes, it could. This congregation could double in size in one year's time and not with people placing membership and shifting congregations and all that. I mean, with conversions. But nobody's got no people have got to pray for that and people have got to work for that. It can happen. I've seen it. I've seen it. What do you think about the harvest? You think the harvest is spoiled already? You think the harvest is corrupt? Or you think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said it was plentiful? Well, that may be uh, that may be a little bit more between the eyes than some of us like, but I like my preaching between the eyes. And I'm saying to you, it's time for us to get up off of our porches. Go on out there into the field. And do some reaping. It's time for some of us to. It's time for some of us to stop trying to run away from the harvest and get on out there and show our families how to reap. That's what time it is. I was excited when the elders said they wanted us to sort of go outside the wire, you know, sort of move out of the house. Because that's what Jesus told his disciples to do. Get on out here to these people who are broken and hurting and preach the gospel and help them in any way that you can. I believe it's worth doing that because we know the truth. Somebody else is going to do it and they won't even take the truth with them, but they'll go on out there and work hard. And I think if we couple the truth with some hard work, we'd see some big results. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came 
preaching that people needed to repent and prepare themselves for the kingdom of heaven. He told his disciples to do the self-same thing. And he tells us to do the same as well. Go on out there into the harvest. Tell people the truth about Christ and the kingdom of heaven. Invite them to repent of their sins. Invite them to become a part of the kingdom that Jesus died to usher into this world. Not all, but enough will accept it just like we did. I tell you what, if you're willing to to make the commitment to doing what Jesus wants done, today is a really good day. Today is a really good day to renew your commitment to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're one who hasn't obeyed the gospel and you would like to, today is a is a really good day to do that. If we can help you, would you let us know how as we stand together and sing the song of